0: I'm Dr. Jonathan Douglas, and you are listening to OnPsych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association. I am a clinical psychologist based in Barrie, Ontario. And I have I'm very kindly given this remarkable tool for communicating with so many people. And, and, and they give me remarkable freedom. And I'd like to acknowledge, by the way, that whatever I say here doesn't represent OPA. <laughs> Those poor people have to suffer through what I say rather than agree with it. So, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge that that wonderful freedom that they've they've given me to date, you know, and let's see if that continues to be warranted today, as we talk with Dr. Richard Amaral, who has written a book, Psychology for Growth and a Balanced Life, The Promise Wheel. Which is actually, I, I got that messed up. It's actually there, there around. It's the promise wheel, <laughs> and then it's the, it's the, uh, it's the subtitle. But you get the gist. So, Richard, yes, so nice to see
1: you. You too, Jonathan.
0: First of all, tell me about your practice. Whereabouts are you based?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm working, I guess, a couple places, and and since the pandemic and the world of virtual uh, therapy, I, I guess I've been working on. All- uh, from home a lot here in Whitby, Ontario, and I do have a small office down here. And uh, but I also work with a, a great group of colleagues in Markham at uh, Markham Psychologists and, and Associates, Psychiatrists and Associates. So um, those are the two main in-person places I go to here in Whitby and there in Markham. But again, you know, I've seen clients all over the province.
0: Yes, that's the amazing thing about the uh, the world today, right? You know, yeah. we're, we're doing so much virtual work, right? And it's really freed us in a lot of ways. Yeah, and,
1: and it, it, it's just helped us to, you know, to reach out to so many more people who yeah. otherwise would not have access to some, you know, some therapy and, yes. and mental health services. Yeah, that's so
0: true. That's, I've got, you know, we've got a number of clients now. You know, from up north. Yeah. Right. Which I think is, is, is so important because it was so underserved prior to the pandemic. That's right. Right. It was so hard to, to, you know, to get services up there. That's right. And now all you need is an internet connection or even a phone. Right. I, to be fair, the phones were always there. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been doing it by phone earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I got a sense too that a lot of us really didn't see that as an option. Yes. That's For right. delivering or receiving services until. You know, until the pandemic and until the world went online. But I've yes. had clients, you know, now that we're talking about, it, I've had clients that I've been working with off and on for a few years, uh, always in person, in person. And some of yeah. them have said, "Can we just talk on the phone?"
2: You know, yeah. they actually
1: enjoy the phone. They can they don't have to wear about worry about their appearance or anything like that, or how messy their yeah. their office or, or private space might be yes yes. yeah just using
0: the telephone to be sure i've never worried about how messy my my office (laughs) is so that's okay you know but uh, (laughs) that's it it's good to just be relaxed absolutely absolutely i gotta say i was i was reflecting on how long i've known you yeah and as i recall you were at the table at an opa conference uh and we were god this would have been like 2015 or something like that yeah that sounds about right and I remember the moment very well because that was the moment when one of the OPA board members came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder and said can we talk to you that sounds about right and oh it must have been much earlier than that it must have been like 2010 actually because that was the moment they invited me to join the board Right. And I remember I was sitting next to you at the moment that that happened. Right, right. <laughs> so and you rem- witnessed this transformational moment in my career.
1: <laughs> uh, and I remember sitting beside you there. I'm glad. Yeah, thanks for uh, jogging my memory there. And I saw your name tag. And I, re- I remember thinking, Jonathan Douglas, this is the guy who writes all those great emails on the list of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I've, I've since abandoned the listserv almost entirely and i'm yeah. directing my attentions now to twitter
1: yes which i enjoy i follow you
0: ontario psychology is too small a community <laughs> for my wisdom you know now i must get it out there
1: <laughs> that's right in 150 characters
0: <laughs> that's right that's right that's <laughs> <laughs> a bigger audience smaller platform you know <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, so tell me about uh tell me about the first of all the process of writing a book. That's gotta be uh yeah. pretty pretty I I think I saw saw you mention, I thought, oh how ironic, right? In the acknowledgements <laughs> you said it took me ten years to find the yeah. time to do this, the guy who's yeah. writing a book on balanced life.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really was. It, um, yeah, talk about, yeah. It's, um, you know, and it's just sort of one, it's become a really uh, a hobby I enjoy, which is something we'll talk about yes. you know, as one of the areas, you know, like interests mm-hmm. and hobbies, which I think are important for a balanced life. But I guess probably since back in the day, like, you know, working on my dissertation, you know, it was like, it just took me such a long time as, yeah. you know, so many of our, anyone who's done, you know, a PhD or a master's thesis for that matter, just a big, you know, research project. It just, you spend so much time in your head, and it's like you want to write, you have the ideas in your head, and it, um, and and it just, you know, finding the discipline to put it down. But I remember having a conversation once you know, uh, with a professor in my PhD committee from the University of Calgary, Dr. Kevin Alderson, great guy. And he says, you know, Richard, because he wrote, he writes a lot. And he says, you know, Richard, he's like, you can be the greatest therapist and deliver fantastic therapy. Um, and you'll be known in your little region, in your area, in your community. But the moment you write something, suddenly everyone in the world gets to hear you. Yes. you know? and, I, and I've always thought about yes. that. And, um, and so, you know, it took 10 years because it's like, you know, this was always something at the corner of the desk type thing. Right. You know, it's just you got life and all these other responsibilities. And yep. so sometimes I'd, you know, write a sentence and then I wouldn't touch it for a month. Right. You know, or I would write a paragraph and I'll touch it for six months. And, and it was there and it just, um, I'd been thinking about a quote at that time and I think it was, um, William William James, was that one of the first psychologists? Do you know? I think his name was. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, there is nothing so fatiguing as an unfinished task. Yes. And I've always loved that quote. And so for years and years, this was an unfinished task. And I think yes. it was weighing me down. And then in 2019... I made a commitment. I'd been reading about writing and reading about habits for, for a few years. And then in 2019, I just made a commitment and I said, you know what? I'm just going to write every day but for seven minutes. I can do seven minutes. And, um, and so I wrote seven minutes and I did that for about a month or even just two or three weeks. I was like, I can do 10. Yeah, I can do 10. So I yeah. pushed it to 10. Yeah, and, uh, and then I did it to 15, and it's amazing how much you can accomplish in a week, you know, at 15 minutes a day, because uh, it's an hour and a half, right? It, 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 it fits a piece of, of clinical advice I often
0: give to people yeah. when, they're, when they're dealing with uh, task initiation problems, right? Right. Where, you know, I always think of task initiation as like a motorboat and you know you you want to get this motorboat moving Mm. so you slam the throttle forward and it takes so much energy to get that boat moving right (laughs) and it's slowly coming up out of the water right Uh and then when it gets to speed you pull way back on the throttle and now the boat's just flying because it's barely touching the water at all there's hard it needs so much less energy to keep moving than it took to get moving right yeah. And that's such, a, that's such a brilliant example of that. You know, how many times did you start that 10
1: minutes and find yourself half an hour gone by? Exactly. That's <laughs> right. exactly, you know, I always thought, remind myself I'm going to do at least exactly. 10 minutes. I can do more, yep. but I, I, I have to do at least 10 minutes and you're absolutely right. Like once you get that momentum going, you know, a yes. little bit of inertia, it's like you just continue with the process. Yes. And, You know, and then probably in 2020, 2021, I was putting like an hour a day, half hour a day. And it just didn't seem that hard because the hardest part was just the start, the initiation. Yes, yes, yes,
0: exactly. And there's a lot of yourself in this book. You yes. know that your personality comes mm. through. You know that 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 charm and that warmth <laughs> and that humor. You know, it's oh, all great right to hear. There.
1: <laughs> yeah, great to hear. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it was I. Um, I didn't realize it until afterwards. So you know, I was giving it to some or to an editor and a publisher, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am talking a lot about myself. Yeah, <laughs> And, and yes. sometimes I think it's a fine line between, you know, wanting to use yourself as an example to to possibly inspire others, you know, and let them know, hey, right. I'm just like you. That's um, right. Versus, right. you know, I don't want it to be about me. Right. You know, oh. like where is that line? You know, yes. making yourself part of the subject but not the entire.
0: Th- that's, that's a fascinating line. And yet, yeah. you know, every – every journalist knows if you're going to talk about science, the science belongs in paragraph three. Mm. Paragraph one is for the anecdote that represents mm. the science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We learn. We don't learn through statistics, right? We learn through story. Yeah. Right. And this is why, of I course, agree. you know, so many people are convinced that, you know, Vaccine injuries are this massive problem, right? Because they hear a story of one, mm. right? They And it certainly is not supported by the statistics, which demonstrate they are vastly safer, right? Uh, but, you know, a billion doses, you know, administered safely is a lot less powerful than
1: my cousin suffered. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you, um, just and tying that just to sort of my clinical work and specifically, you know, doing things like cognitive behavior therapy and just focusing even just on cognitive therapy. You know, we're using a little more logic and reason mm-hmm. to, to help change uh, behavior. Yeah, I use that that kind of reasoning a lot on myself because, you yeah. know, the story of your Aunt Martha, you know, and what she experienced just seems to carry so much more weight than the million people who had no problems reported, you know? And uh, so you got to use a little bit of logic, use your mind a little bit to make those decisions. We evolved to learn
0: from story. Yeah. Right? We evolved, you know, hey, I was Mm -hmm. was over, over the hill last week and, you know, the wildebeest were running, you know? Maybe it's a good idea to go there tomorrow, right? That's story, right? That's not statistics, right? Yeah. And that's that's the initiation of how we transfer knowledge, you know, as a species, is by the yeah. story.
1: Yeah, no, and um, just to follow up with, with what you're just saying, um, when I was working in the First Nations community, some of the First Nations communities out in Alberta, and um, work with some of the elders who are, you know, the, the carriers of knowledge, yes. and who would share their stories with me. Uh, you know, and they would talk about things like residential schools and and just you know this life of living you know in a First Nations community, and uh, it just impacted me so much, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because it was this lived experience that they had, yes. and uh, you know, and well, yeah, it just cool. really inspired me. Absolutely,
0: of course, the the medicine wheel right. is core metaphor. In yeah. in your book here, so so tell me That's about right.
1: that. Yeah, so um, so just a backtrack with that was uh, when I entered grad school, my master's program in, in the, doing a, in a, in addictions counseling. I remember uh, I had learned about the integrative model. Uh, which is the uh, for helping to assess people. So like the bio-psycho-social spirit, you know, bio social right. model, which is a right. great word, by, yeah. you know, a multi-syllable word with all these hyphens in there. Um, but I remember reading about that. And I'm like, oh, this, this makes so much sense, not only in, yeah. in terms of like understanding, you know, addictions, but just understanding the person. Yes. You know, you look at their biology, you know, their physical the physical aspects of who they are, then their mental, psychological, and then their social, the environment, and and like that, that stayed with me for quite a while. And then also, you know, in learning about addictions, you know, we learn about the twelve-step model, mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, let's say Narcotics mm-hmm. Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, and so forth, and and they're very much about sort of this spiritual understanding of of um, you know of 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 problem behaviors. And so I looked at it now as the biopsychosocial spiritual model. So that stayed with me in my work. And then when I started my PhD program at University of Calgary, um, I still thinking about that integrative model in in doing some of the work I was doing, my practicums and internships, and then, uh, got a great job. And I think it was 2004, started working on Sutana nation which is a first nations community just there the borders calgary and learned about the medicine wheel where they talk about the physical mental emotional and spiritual and i was thinking to myself oh my gosh i learned this in school yes. but you guys have been talking about it for thousands of years thousands it's been the you. core of of their teaching and yes. um Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I was working in a clinic there that was, um, you know, funded by Health Canada and First Nations Inuit Health, um, you never really, in their, in hearing with their language, they didn't ever really talk about the word health. They would always talk about the word balance. Mm. Someone who is healthy is someone who is balanced. In other words, they are someone who, was addressing their physical health, they were addressing their mental health, their emotional health, and their spiritual health. And I just love that, uh, you know, just in terms of viewing, you know, what a healthy person is just from that, uh, that model. So I just combined the two, I sat with it, reflected on it. And then, um, and that always stayed with me. And then Just doing some more work and and just more reflection and more reading, I realized, you know what, I think we can expand this model a little more. Mm -hmm. So to include just a few more domains, a few more areas uh, to give a person like direction on what it is that they can pay attention to, to have a more balanced life. But going back to what you said is that absolutely at the core, the origins, you know, is that medicine will help me a lot with my thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember the, the. I mean, the first time I came across the
0: medicine wheel, I remember I was at a training uh, at what is now uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, hmm. uh, which is ironic because at the time it was not
1: right. <laughs> it was very much not Toronto Metropolitan University, right? Oh, right. right. And, yeah, and was but it was it had, a college at one point too? Exactly, even, exactly. Yeah.
0: And and it was uh, they had the medicine wheel, oh, up in uh, this auditorium. Where wow. uh, where we were uh, uh, being trained, and you know, and they and they talked about it, right? They they talked about you know yeah. what this meant, you know, and I think that it, you know I, I think that was probably you know part of how they were trying to address the fact that this school was carrying a name at that time that carried a lot of negative baggage for the indigenous mm-hmm. people, and you know, the, I, I think there were, it was that's probably a, sort of like part of their process. I mm-hmm. think of towards that name change, you know, mm. of, of, you know, getting beyond the, uh, you know, that, that association, which was so unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it just makes so much intuitive sense. But you've you've added you've added pieces to it, took nothing away. So yeah. let's talk you, you, the promise. We sure. promise, of course, yeah, is what's that word begins yeah. with an A acronym. Acronym, thank
1: you. anachronism yeah. right? You know, it's not an anachronism. Ringing the
0: bell. Acronym. Ding. <laughs> no. In the form of a question,
1: please. Um, so, um, so take us through the the problem. Yeah, yeah a problem this will, and so okay. So these were like a whole bunch of areas, you know, like that I again doing just some reflection on my life. Like, what are the things that help me to feel? Healthy, How the things in my life, the areas, the, the activities I've paid attention to to help me feel healthy. And what is the research in, you know, in, in sociology and in psychology, even medicine? What is that saying about uh, being healthy? So P, promise wheel. So promise wheel um, is the, the P is for physical health. So this is, you know, where you're paying attention to the physical health. And I put, like, some subcategories. There's three of them that I think make up a person's physical health. So one is physical activity. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two is diet. And third is sleep. I think those are three, you know, when you address those three areas, then I think you're addressing your physical health. Nice. R stands for relationships. So these are, you know, relationships with your with friends, with family members, with the community, the community. And um, after writing, I want to add, I didn't get a chance to add it at the time, but after I'd released the book, we got ourselves a, a puppy, the dog, oh. Zuma. And I had no, you know, you, I'd always heard about people's connections and the relationships with pets, but I'd never yeah. really had any growing up. And now I get it. Yeah, (laughs) I get the power of that relationship. So if I were to, you know, edit this book and add something there, I think a person's relationship with with animals, you know, with other living things, uh, I think helps to address the letter R in promise. O is for occupation, so it's the work you do. M is for mind. Um, And so for this, for mind, uh, and I would say – I broke that down into two, again, two subdomains. So, undermine. So, one has to do with like addressing balanced thinking. This is where I talk about things like CBT. You know, just sort of like looking at things a little more logically, not just focusing on the negative, but also focus having more balanced perspective in life. And along with that, undermine is I think is the importance of like just just being learn just learning. Mm-hmm. all the time i think you know just learning taking some courses reading i think that can help to balance uh, to address that letter i mm-hmm. is for interests and in hobbies that's important s is for your spiritual life and and there's the sort of spiritual beliefs and spiritual practices and then the e is for emotions um but what's i guess a bit different so you can see some of the things i've pulled from that integrative model and the medicine wheel Yes. What's different about the way I've conceptualized it in my head um, is I think our emotions are a product of addressing the P-R-O-M-I-S. Yeah. So when you address those other areas of your life, then I think you the emotions at the center of the wheel. So I use an illustration of a bicycle wheel mm-hmm. and the hub of that bicycle wheel. Is the emotional center. So I think when you address these other domains, then I think emotionally you'll feel really balanced. And, really and it's, it's, it's an
0: interactive thing too, isn't it? Because right. when we are emotionally balanced, right? That actually makes everything else easier to maintain. So it's, it's not just a one way interaction, right? It's not. That's a good point. On all these things. Yeah. It's all these things are simultaneously dependent on emotion.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I think when, you know, when you're feeling good and let some, you know using some emotions out there, I guess maybe content in life and you're feeling peaceful, uh, you know are feeling calm and you know feeling a bit balanced, then it's, it becomes a little easier to you know to spend time on our hobbies, to spend time on our physical health, to yes. spend time in, in the relationships with the people we care about. So yeah, yep. it is interactive, it is two-way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I often think, you know, like the CBT model, which, you know, Mm. sort of focuses, you know, you're going to use your thinking to change how you feel, right? And it it presents the model as, you know, your thoughts create your emotions. And yeah, I think there's a practical element there, which is very sensible to me, which is it's a lot easier to change the way you're thinking than it is to change the way you're feeling. Right. You know, I mean, just say, right. stop feeling that you're not doing anybody a lot of good. Right. But That's, the reality yeah. is, of course, is that how we e- emote, how we're feeling has a huge impact on how we think. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's an easier way into the hub. Right. The, mm-hmm. the emotion it may be at the center. Right. And it may be, you know, supporting every other spoke. But it's almost like you have to get at it through these other spokes first. They're just a little bit easier to address.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And and just to bring it, you know, just the therapy, the counseling piece into this is, yeah, that CBT model, you know, I thought of it a lot. Because, you know, some of the questions. So when I'm doing a little education with people and I'll do, let's say, a triangle, you know, sometimes I'll do the rectangle, which is the CBT. But for the for our discussion here, let's just use the triangle. So you've got the thoughts at the top and whenever I, I, I do it is I put the thoughts at the top. Um, the bottom right is emotions and the bottom left is behaviors or actions. And it's uh, so like BET is the acronym I sometimes use, BET, Matisse. And, um, and so people, and you know, I'll explain to them, I say, listen, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling nervous, um, here are some of the things you can do. And clients will often ask, What should I, what do you think is easier to address? My thinking or my behaviors or my emotions? Mm -hmm. And that's a great question. And I think it has a lot to do with the therapist and and sort of with this, you know, the area or the the approach and the orientation they have. Because I think, um, I have little knowledge of it, but I think the emotion, motion focused therapy, it just Mm -hmm. targets that first. But for myself, I find, let's just, you know, starting with your thinking or your behaviors. Let's get you to do something or let's get you to think and look at the world a little differently. And then we'll change the emotions. And that's sort of influenced why I put emotions at the hub was because I think… We can look at the emotions as this product, but going so to back that, what you it, said, Jonathan, it's it's two way.
0: Yeah, like, as you're saying, like in emotional, emotionally focused therapy, right? Is it's basically I, we're, we're always after emotional change, mm. but the way we get there so often is by getting to the heart of what is going on emotionally and learning how to sit with it learning how to communicate it mm. and having it heard and validated and that automatically brings change there's a little bit we could do to to change emotion you know if i'm having a bad day i know that what i should do personally is watch some monty python put on laurel and hardy right if i'm feeling down I cannot feel down while I'm listening to the Beatles. Right. Yeah. Those those two experiences are completely incompatible for me. Right. If I want to be depressed, I can listen to the Smiths, but if I want to be (laughs) happy, I've got the Beatles. Right. And, you know, so there is stuff we can do to manipulate, I guess, emotion in that way sometimes. Um, But really emotion transforms when we learn to sit with it and not try to flee it, right? And, you know, I, I, um, you know watching um, that Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks, uh, uh, A Beautiful Day, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, right? What the magic of Mr. Rogers was, was essentially that Rogerian practice of sitting with emotion. And letting it be okay. And that was the core of everything that he did. Right. And it's, you know, and that I think is so fascinating because, yes, I think it's so true. It's easier in a sense to transform if you're on your own. Right. It's easier to transform through um, changing how I'm behaving, changing how I'm thinking. Right. But, there's something powerful in that community in the relationship. There's the R right. Emotion yeah. evolves in community, right? Mm-hmm. Emotion evolves to be heard, shared and validated. And that seems to mm-hmm. be something which is profound, you know, in, in how we manage our emotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to sort of just touch upon what you just said about just that sitting with it, mm-hmm. you know, and just being with it. Um, yeah, you know, when I, when I wrote, uh, was working on the chapter of, um, of both S, the, the spiritual chapter and the E, the emotions chapter, you know, I talked about that, you know, um, just like when you go, for example, and you're feeling, down or we got just so many emotions happening and you're not sure what to do. And you're just sort of sitting, sitting there. But let's say you're sitting there with your, with your feelings and and everything that's happening internally, but you're sitting in front of, you know, a body of water on a park bench, Mm -hmm. you know, or on the ground. You know, then it becomes a very, like a spiritual experience. Yeah. You're calm, you're grounded, you're at peace. And and that absolutely, just that sitting and that being in, in silence and stillness can absolutely transform your emotional state. Yeah. So yeah, there is and you know, one of the things I um one of the things I talk about in the last chapter of the book is um is that it's just the support importance of just awareness, mm-hmm. being self-aware, where it's like, you know, you just stop you know, sort of thinking, hitting the pause button, just hit the pause button on your MP3 player, just hit the yeah. pause button on the movie and just wait for about 15 seconds or so and just notice stuff, notice what's happening internally, what's happening on the external. Um, it can, yeah, it just does so much to um, to improve the way you're feeling emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You, know, I think so much of uh, psychopathology. Mm. Some of the, the problem behaviors that we develop, you know, we, th- we tend to think of them as emotional problems, right? But they are actually mm. problems of trying desperately not to have emotions, right? So, you know, we, mm. we drink heavily in order to numb ourselves out, right? Yeah. We use anger to defend against vulnerability, you know, we we have a panic attack because it functions so amazingly as a distraction from what is really bothering us. You know, all these kinds of things that can arise. Not always, you know. Um, you know, but often I think, you know, a lot of of you know, the difficulties that we evolve in our lives are about trying desperately not to have those very difficulties. You know, yeah. Running away from ourselves.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget something one of my uh, grad teachers said, uh, late Don Mahalo, a great guy. He said, the book of DS the DSM, the diagnostic statistical manual, uh, it's look at it not as a book of problems, but as a book of solutions. <laughs> Which is exactly what you were saying, Jonathan, right? Yeah. Like substance use disorder. Let's say alcohol, alcohol abuse, alcohol uh, disorder. Um, the person is drinking to help cope with what's yep. happening emotionally. Yeah. Panic disorder. Absolutely. The person is, there's so much happening in their world, in their life, and they just exhibit or they manifest all this this panic and these heart palpitations yes. and this sense of doom. Depression, right? And then other people where so much is happening, they'll just retreat, withdraw, disconnect. Yeah. So it really is when you frame it like that. Yeah, that it's, Fascinating. it's just the person trying to cope. This is how they've they can cope with those emotions. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you
0: can you can look at that, you know, you know, across the board, right? You know, even something like autism, right? Incapacity mm. to, to handle overstimulation, right? So how do we right. you know, what are the symptoms and problems that emerge from being overstimulated? you know and and you know yeah it's it's
1: really it's a fascinating
0: fascinating way of framing things yeah
1: yeah yeah i I sometimes think about that word you know and think about autism uh, but just the neural divergence yeah oh that's sort of one of the words that i come into i guess our lexicon and uh of dealing with you know mental health and uh, but that neurodivergence, neuro, yeah, it's just like, you're right. Like, everyone's brain is a little different. Yes. And what can I learn from people who, you know, what are they telling me? Those whose brains are wired a little differently than mine, what are their behaviors telling me? One of the things I studied for a little while, yeah. it's incompatible with
0: how busy I got to keep doing it, but I started to study neurofeedback, mm. which is uh, you biofeedback on on brainwaves you know you hook it up to a computer and now you can see what's going on with your brainwaves in real time yeah. and you can learn to transform the level of activity in different areas of the brain fascinating stuff and i learned you know it was number one it was powerful right you know and yeah. you could overshoot the mark and create some side effects and you know this kind of a thing but it was like it's so powerful you know and But I also came to realize, I think that we're all doing our best with the brains that we currently have, Mm. you know, and it's, it's an amazing Mm. frame things, you know, it's very humanistic, right? That we're, we're all doing our best to manage whatever problems we have in our world, given the brains we currently have and how they currently function, you know? Yeah. And there are multiple ways to bring about that transformation you know it's not just through medication it's not just through you know um, no absolutely right it's it can be conversation it can be through connection right it can be through meditation
2: hey on-site listeners katie here from jane i wanted to take a few seconds to say you're doing incredible work whether you're a receptionist office manager practitioner or all of the above We see your commitment to your clients. Jane was built to help you transform that commitment into a thriving business, all while making your day-to-day easier. You can head to jane.app forward slash mental health to read more and see if we can be a good fit for your practice.
1: I um, am working on my blog post this week, which, by the way, people can sign up by going to my website www.psychologyforgrowth.com and every week I try to release a blog post and and the blog post I've been thinking of this week uh, that I've started working on um, is related to this thing of the biofeedback and I'm glad you mentioned that example but I was just doing some reading the other day and it came across this researcher Lauren Christensen, Dr. Lauren Christensen. I think she's out of stand. Yes. She's looked at... um, uh the way young people in one group young people versus old people and i think old people is 65 to 80 and young is like 18 to 25 um is they look at, she looks at how um their amygdala so the emotional center of the brain you know right. how does it respond to positive images versus negative images right so what she found so she so the experiment was she Show images on a screen and just sort of look, you know, attach these, I guess, electrodes to the brain to measure amygdala functioning, um, amygdala activity. And what she found was that when both positive and negative images appeared on the screen, young people, their amygdala was really, really active. Mm-hmm. But for older people, uh when they show positive images, the amygdala was act, you know, was active, but the negative images didn't create much amygdala activity in the older group.
0: That's interesting.
1: And one of the theories explaining this is that over the course of our life, we can we actually become better at like training our brains. You know, to follow up with this neurofeedback idea, that we become better at training our brains to respond to positive images and to pay less attention to these negative images. You know, so we're actually training the cortex, the frontal cortex, to like pay more attention to these positive things that we see and experience rather than the negative ones.
0: Which is fascinating to me, but also deeply counterintuitive. Because I'm mm. looking at, you know, political polarization
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the power of, of fear and the power of, of anger in politics today. It seems like nobody votes anymore for someone that they like. They vote against the person they don't like. <laughs> right? Our votes no longer represent our values. Mm. They represent our fears and our rage. Right. And it's yeah. it's a little counterintuitive that we would get better at responding more strongly to that which we like.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And you you touch upon a really important a good point here. You know, going to this that emotional, the power of the emotion. Yes. is absolutely like fear is such a powerful, you know, emotional state. Yes. You know, anxiousness is such a, a powerful emotional state that we try to escape it. And in the case of what you're talking about, we try to escape it or try to mitigate it by voting for someone that we think will help to manage our fears best. That is true. You and know? there's solid evidence there, right?
0: That the the, the the more fearful a population is, the more authoritarian. a a regime it's willing to support. Mm. Right. You know, you look at Germany between the wars and the stresses in that population. Right. And the person who comes up and says, Hey, we can blame that group. right? Right. We can target, you know, we can channel all that hate and anxiety and stress towards those people. Right. And yeah, that's a very powerful thing. That's, that's, that's interesting. The way this stuff can work on, you know, the broadest levels, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes to show, yeah, just how, um, yeah, psychology, you know, it can, can be used to understand politics. Absolutely. (laughs) And vice versa, I think, all too (laughs) fast.
0: There's no question about that. Yeah. 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 So I was curious, you know, you know, your concept the way you described mm. the balanced life, mm. right? Yeah. You know, can, can you take mm. me through that? I don't know if you have it handy there, you know, but. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah. actually I was just looking at it. Yeah, just so the definition, Um, I'll just sort of break it apart a bit.
0: Out there, I thought it was such a fantastic definition. You know, I really did.
1: Okay, so yeah, my, my paragraph here. So I apologize all the listeners here, but I'm just going to read from the book. But um, on my definition of, of being in a state of balance or having a balanced life is that it is a subjective state of well-being. This state of well-being is experienced as pleasant emotions in your emotional core on a consistent basis. Your emotions are the product of synchronization across the multiple domains of your life. The domains that need to be in sync are your physical health, relationships, occupation, mind, interests and hobbies, and spiritual health. A balanced life is dynamic. It's never static. So that is, you know. Poetry. The... That, that is poetry.
0: To me. That, that's absolutely beautiful.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: yes, I thought that was really, really
1: spectacular. Thank you. Uh, and you know one of the reasons why I came up with my definition was because it was hard to find one in the literature. When you, this was another interesting thing. Well, oh, you need balance. That's right. It's yeah, yeah. And so when they think say balance, we often think of work-life balance. Like because traditionally that's sort of the phrase we think about. There's work, and then there's everything else. Yes. And uh, and and people in the literature of sociology. And, and uh, in psychology, we're saying like, there's really no one standard agreed upon definition of what balance is. People would just sort of intuitively think of it as like, you know, I got my work life and then I got my, my personal life. Yeah. And if I'm, you know, if I'm feeling okay, if I'm not overexerting myself in other one, either one of those areas then, um, or those two lives, either one of those two lives, then I must be balanced. And so I realized, ah, you know, this definition, you know, how can I break it apart? And specifically like the word life and work-life balance, you know, it's like, it's gotta be, what is that? Yeah. And, you know, and. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? That the
0: work-life balance sort of implies that life, and work are incompatible.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. Good point. Yeah, that's a great point. And as one of my, one of my uh, clients once pointed out to me, uh, is, like when we were talking about this, she said, and isn't it interesting that we refer to it as work-life balance rather than life-work? Work. So yeah. that the term work comes first. Yes. And I thought that was a great point. And, uh, and she is a client from a different culture. And I say that because um, I think our understanding of balance is influenced by the culture we grow up in. Oh, is and it? Because there are cultures in the world where it's like work is just a tiny bit of life. That's right. And and so they would define it differently as well. Oh, oh
0: absolutely. But um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm 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 all over this these days. You know, in terms of the, you know, looking at the pandemic, yeah, and looking at how you know early on we approached the pandemic as a public health problem. You know, how are we going to make sure that you know people are safe? And Mm. then we approached it as an economic problem. How are we going Mm. to get people back into the workplace? back into the shopping malls, back into the restaurants, right? It's much more being approached today as an economic problem than as yeah. a public health problem. And that's yeah. because it's so deeply entrenched in our culture is the economy is ultimately everything, right? It's, you know, we are in a capitalist yeah. culture and, you know, we talk about work-life balance. It's you know, is a concept that dates back to the industrial revolution where, you know, you lived at the factory in a factory town. Yeah. Right. And you had, you know, 12 hours to spend at home and 12 hours to spend at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and all your money was, you know, you, you got company money to spend at the company store at the company prices. You know, the company was going to own you essentially without calling it slavery. It was, you very close to that in terms of its economic relationship to the worker. And, you know, we evolved beyond that, right. You know, slowly over time, but you know, we still have, you know, work <laughs> comes first in the work life. Yeah. Right. It really does. Yeah. You know, a lot of the measures that we use are economic measures. How do we defend, you know, providing, uh psychological treatment, well, we say, well, look look at the payoff, right? Here's the pay it's not happier people, right? It's productivity, right? Yeah. It's you know if, if your workers are happier, they're more productive, right? We always have to sort of bring it back to the economic reality. You spend one dollar on psychology, you get five dollars back. It's a fantastic deal, right, But we're still having to bring it back down to dollars we certainly are not a place where we're saying you spend $1 on psychology and you produce happier, more spiritually centered people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then they go, well, what about that dollar?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why can't we make it 75 cents? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, actually I, I mentioned it briefly in in the the chapter of the letter o in promise for mm-hmm. occupation yes yeah which um you know and i talk about in the context of how eaps you know e- employee assistance programs or employee family assistance yes. programs efaps which i think was great that they are created because yep. but the bottom line is, I think, perhaps one of the motivations for creating these, these EAPs was it's, they realized if our workers are mentally okay, if they're feeling balanced, if they're feeling psychologically healthy,
0: they're going to be better workers. And I've seen situations where, you know, a, a worker might be psychologically injured in the workplace through a trauma. Yeah. And rather than encouraged to make a, uh, a worker's compensation claim they're encouraged to go to the EAP. The mm-hmm. EAP, they're going to be seeing someone who cannot diagnose. By definition, they cannot open up a workers' compensation claim because you have to be able to establish the diagnosis first. If no one's saying it's PTSD, it's not PTSD yet, right? right. And so, you know, there is an economic, you know, feature there sometimes, right? Yeah. Where people say, oh, just go, go get some help there you know and yeah absolutely there's you know these economic pressures you know the unfortunately the eaps are they are they are 100% as you say so important yeah. but their their definition always boils down to who's benefiting right and it's going to be whoever, whoever it happens to be paying yeah right? yeah that's what it always comes down to and that and that I'm good or bad i mean i you know i don't mean to sound so you know so uh, uh, so dark about that, I mean, because I think capitalism actually has a lot of tremendous uh, aspects to it as well. but um, you know, we do have to understand these 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 economic forces, right that you know it, it's I think it's a fascinating thing when we look at the role of you know um, economic forces as we think about these things because they tend to be the thing that that's the air that we're breathing the water we're swimming in that we never comprehend right you know who's benefiting from the healthy workforce who's benefiting from letting the workforce get ill right and you know how how is this you know playing out in in our minds
1: yeah that's a great point and it's you know you're you're talking it's making me think of One of the things I still remember from Sociology 101 was, you know, when we did um, work on it as a student and hearing as an undergrad and hearing about Marxism was the first time I'd ever been exposed to that. Yes. But, you know, that guy had it, you know, Karl Marx, like he had a bang on in so many respects, you know, just the the power of of capitalism or money. Yeah. Like suicide rates go up when the economy drops yes when people lose their jobs they're at risk for mental health conditions they get depressed yes they become more detached so and again it boils down to that the impact of you know our finances and economical health absolutely you know, on a person's psychological health absolutely yeah yeah and like i said i don't i don't think the
0: solution is to abandon capitalism I think the solution is to challenge capitalism,
2: mm.
0: right. To, to be more compassionate, to be more um, in its own, in it, to its own ultimate benefit, because it's the only thing that capitalism ever does. <laughs> it's yeah. <to> it, it <laughs> ultimate benefit, Right. You know, but you know, it, 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 you know, I, I really do believe that, you know, I remember growing up, I, I, you know, my father would have the news on and the business yeah. news would come on. I'd be like the most boring stuff in the world It's like, Oh my gosh, it's so dull to hear about stagflation. Cause this is the seventies, right? <laughs> you know, gas prices are going up. I'm like, who cares? Right. As <laughs> an adult, I go, Oh my God, I can feel the economy. <laughs> you know, it's like visceral. <laughs> you know, you yeah. can feel, is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is it, you know, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, it no, is.
1: that's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, yeah, I was thinking of that. tooth Talking was just making me think of uh, that 2008 crisis, mm-hmm.
2: the financial
1: crisis, you know, on Wall Street and how it affected. Fortunately, I don't think it, I get the impression um, and others, other listeners might disagree, but it didn't feel like it affected Canada as much. Right. Right. As right. south yeah. of the border. Yeah. But, you know, at that time, I remember, yeah, hearing the stories of like, you know, mom and dad lost their job and now they're home and they're sad and they're depressed. And there is this like, what about my future? There's these concerns about the future, which is leading more to anxious thinking and anxious feeling of anxiety. Um, but yeah, it's all tied up to to health. And, um, tied into our economic health financial health and you know when i was writing the book just to connect you're making me think here about you know why i think a balanced life is an important one and in the start of the the book i I try to justify why it's important to be balanced and one of the reasons i give is that when you are feeling balanced you actually become a better employee as yep. you were just talking about. Yes. But the research, that was another interesting thing I, I found was, you know, they were look they did studies where, um, you know, just survey studies where you're asking the individual, like, what do you do after work? What are some of the hobbies? What you know, do you go home to a family versus are you going home to an empty apartment? And and sure enough, individuals who had these you know, I'm going swimming or I'm doing a quilting club or I gotta take my kids to hockey practice. But when they had all this a sense of purpose outside of work, it actually improved their, you know, their, their work performance. Yeah. Because, you know, they realized that, hey, I got more to my to my life than just this job. And um versus although when we spent excessive amounts of time on our work and therefore become imbalanced, then these other areas of our life start to suffer as well. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so you're absolutely right in that. Um, yeah, when you, when you just focus on, on your life outside of work, it'll actually and improve your performance at work. This is the thing to me, right? It's mm-hmm. the problem
0: isn't capitalism. The mm-hmm. problem is short-sighted capitalism. Mm-hmm right the problem is what's happening in the next quarter capitalism right yeah and not looking at the long-term you know implications of 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 what we do you know uh for the economy right i think that i think that's a problem which exists in so many different ways right um you know you look at you know you know manufacturing going offshore and this kind of a thing, which just sort kind of assumes everything's going to stay the same you know yeah. you know geopolitically right you know and and everything, and then suddenly a crisis comes along, and it's like, oh, we haven't got manufacturing anymore <laughs> you know it's you know we're always sort of you know chasing these world events, but you know yeah, the impact of the economy you know i think is a is a real uh fascinating one on psychology you know and 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 vice versa
1: and vice versa right? yeah you know it, it's always amazes to me for
0: years right you
1: know? yeah 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 you know yeah. Uh, yeah i've never taken an economics course um but one of the you know one of the messages that people have I hear from economists or other people who've taken courses in economics is that it's all about psychology. Yes, right. And it's always fascinating for me to to to, to think about that. It, that, really that is, you know, it really is, you know. Really is. Stock drops because people are worried. Exactly. Right. There's this emotion of worry, and suddenly it affects the outlook of this company. That's right. Or people get irrationally optimistic. Irrational. That's right. Right. Distorted thinking. Yeah. And
0: suddenly, <laughs> oh, Bitcoin. Oh, boy, nothing <laughs> ever go wrong with Bitcoin. It's just going to keep going up forever, you know, <laughs> even though we know that that's not how Ponzi schemes work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? A totally unfettered capitalist market. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote a blog post a few weeks ago on the topic of financial grief. Mm-hmm. and it was something that um a client brought it up to me because he had um he had heard about it in, in a in a hospital state mm-hmm. um it was but essentially you know it, he realized that a big cause of his anxious and depressed feelings was that um he'd been spending a lot of time thinking of all these bad financial decisions he's made right. you know and now he's at a point in his life you know, where again, you know, we get the narrative of this is what you do when you've retired, you know, yes. you go on these trips, you travel, yeah. you know, and, and well, what if uh, you invested in Bitcoin, your life savings, you know, you invested in FTX and suddenly you got it, it, it it's all gone. Yeah. You know, what if you invested with Bernie Madoff? That's and- right. Now you're 75 and you got to find a job because yeah. your savings have disappeared, yeah. and you're reflecting like, "How did I get to this point?" Well, it's because yeah. of these ec- economics, right? These financial decisions, decision I made, and how I what I invested in, and it's you know the term is financial grief because there's a lot of grieving involved. Absolutely, you know, you feel depressed, you're feeling remorseful, regretful. Yes. Of, yeah. of the decisions you made, can we have
0: can we have a balanced life in poverty?
1: Mm, absolutely, I think so. You know, when you were, I, I think you can because um, I've seen it just in 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 some of my visits to cultures where they're a little more, where they are more impoverished, and they seem to be happy they have such a great attitude yes you know and um and i've often heard you know from from elders from some elderly people was like oh life was so much easier when we were just poor we were poor and happy yes and but there's a lot of truth to that yeah because uh you know you sometimes you can learn to live um you know, when you got your relationships you know when you have people that you feel connected with, um, you know, when you feel like you wake up and you got a purpose, when you know you have a, some strong spiritual beliefs that can make you feel more hopeful in your life. Yes, um, you know, and yeah, you know, you might be living below the poverty line, but you're feeling okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh. That makes total sense to me. It's, it's almost like this is the light and the wave. You know, the 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 light is a particle and light is a wave, hmm. right? And it, it seems to me like there's this this aspect of the duality of understanding these things. You know, that I think you know psychology can be faulted for focusing too much on the individual, right, and ignoring oppressive systems that hold you know uh you know people down right you know you know and if you know you can imagine if we say oh well the problem with you know um you know people who are poor is they need to get Richard Amaral's book. Gear <laughs> <laughs> up. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, you don't need ODSP, you need to change your spirit, you know. Yeah. Obviously, there's 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 problems with that. Um, and yet there's truth in what you say, mm. right? Because you can compensate in one area of your life with another. You know, if you can live a meaningful life. You don't necessarily need a lot of things, right? And a lot of us are striving after things because we lack meaning, hmm. right? Because affluenza is, you know, almost as bad as poverty in some ways, psychologically,
1: you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, Yeah, you, you know, that it doesn't. You know, the way you feel like, and this is why, you know, the first sentence of my definition is that balance is a subjective state of well being. Yeah. So I can't tell you whether yeah. or not you're balanced or imbalanced. Exactly. Only you can tell me whether or not you're feeling imbalanced. Absolutely. Because, you know, we've, yeah, you've spoken with wealthy individuals who feel really imbalanced. That's right. Right. Uh, they've got, you know, they're making great incomes. They got a great savings account, but they have no friends. Yeah. Or they got no hobbies, you know. They they wake up and they don't feel like they have a purpose. Yeah. Versus, you know, talk to that individual who is they make just enough. They make enough, but every day, you know, they're volunteering at this place, or, you know, they have a job where they, they feel really good. Um one of the stories I, I, I talk about in my book was about, you know, a client who had retired. So she had a great pension. So financially, she was okay. But she came to see me because she was uh, she was dealing with depression. Her doctor had referred her. And, and you know, as part of her story, she was telling me about when I asked her, when did you notice a mood change? She said, when I retired. Mm-hmm. you know she goes, because every morning, Richard... When I would go to my job, we'd have a coffee break at ten fifteen in the morning. And me and my colleagues would go down the escalator and we'd eat in a we'd have our coffee in the food court and we would talk to our we would talk about our spouses, we talk about our kids, we talked about what we did on the weekend. You know, we I had these relationships, I had a sense of connection, and the moment I left my job, it disappeared. Yeah. And you know, also, but financially she's good she's got a, yep. like i said a solid pension plan yeah mortgage is paid off doesn't have to but you know that kind of sense of connection you know was making the loss of connection was making her feel imbalanced you yeah know, she felt like she didn't have a purpose and that affected her mood so yeah i don't i i as powerful as you know of a, a finances and economics can be on our mental health it's not the only factor
0: well this is a whole the whole point of your book isn't it right right that's right there's other domains exactly no matter what domain you pick on you will find another right yeah you know it's you're not likely to have one single area which can compensate for everything else right that's right. yeah absolutely that's right absolutely uh, there's several areas i want to thank you so much for uh for joining me i want to thank you for writing such a and i wanted to ask you too the picture of the wheel on the book yeah was, was that physical or is that cgi oh that's cgi oh yeah, yeah, that's they did amazing. a job i have to say you know i,
1: I, I, I thought so too Is he
0: actually holding that thing, or is that? Yeah, no, that's clever. I'm talking about. I ask because I
1: I was I was holding. So I got um, I the one of the things I'm holding there, uh, just to give the the audio the listeners just an image visualization. Is I have I'm, I'm extending my two arms in front of me, and I'm holding this. Object. I am holding, Jonathan, the, the little talking circle. So, you know, the little bubble. I oh, am holding okay. that. Okay. Yes, I am holding that. And However.
0: The, the wheel over top of it.
1: The wheel within this bubble, that is wow. all computer generated.
0: It is a, a combination. Very clever. Yeah. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> so, the book is, and I'm going to get the title right this time, The Promise Wheel, Psychology for Growth and a Balanced Life. Where can people get this book?
1: They can get it on Amazon. Uh, Amazon. 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 Uh, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, any, anywhere that. in the world. You can get Excellent. Amazon. Excellent. Um, yeah, and my website. They can also find links to it on my website. Which was Psychology, again, psychology for Growth. Psychologyforgrowth.com. And you got it. All psychologyforgrowth.com. All
0: right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here, Richard.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed this. Thank fun. you.
2: Hey there, this is Katie from Jane. Thanks for letting our team be a part of your listing experience over these past few months. We're proud to be sponsors of the Ontario Psychological Association and the OnPsych podcast. If you're new to Jane, let me tell you a bit about us. Jane is complete practice management software that can help you navigate your day to day with ease and flexibility. This means simple scheduling, streamlined billing, intuitive charting and so much more we'd love to meet you and hear your story our team is only a phone call or email away and you can find us over at jane.am forward slash mental health we look forward to hearing from you
0: you have been listening to on psych presented by the ontario psychological association be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts